When our next guest was at the peak of his medical career as a triple board certified physician, he saw an opportunity to write a second chapter as a healthcare CEO. Taking everything he'd learned as a doctor, medical director, and educator, he launched two businesses, a vaccine clinic and a drug testing enterprise driven by technology and designed for fast, customer-centric service. Dr. Jonathan Bektari, founder and CEO of E7 Health, joins us to discuss how his leadership positions within the clinical, educational, administrative, and insurance company settings position him to build world-class services and technologies to serve Americans across the country and to make a material impact on preventative medicine. Join us to learn how Dr. Bektari and the E7 Health team have built an industry-leading systems company that has invested heavily in developing electronic cloud-based software to leverage technology for their operations, patients, and clients. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Dr. Bakhtari, thank you for taking the time to join up today and welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, given your lifelong passion to make a material impact on preventative health and your next big chapter as a healthcare technology and innovation CEO, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. But before we dive in, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Bissell and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Clubhouse in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Jonathan, it's almost time for our community to learn about your storied clinical journey in what you and the E7 Health team are building, dubbed as the Uber of preventative medicine. But first, what's that one piece of advice that you would give to others who are passionate about reimagining the health of our world? The advice I would give is really never think that issues in healthcare are insurmountable. I think we've seen a generation of people who just have given up and saying it is what it is. Just to reimagine things and think about doing the exact same thing in a different way, it's possible. You just have to work on it and think about it and think it through. Well, and it's easy to fall in that trap, right, Jonathan? I mean, you know as well as I do, you've been going to talk about it today, your story journey as a clinician, now as a CEO of a technology healthcare company, it's so easy to fall in those traps in healthcare. Well, this is how it's always been done. This is how we always do it, right? There's no way this industry can change. I don't like to subscribe to that either. Yes, it's hard, but how do you keep yourself motivated? And more importantly, Jonathan, how do you keep your team members motivated that, yes, in fact, we can change this industry? Yeah, well, I think the idea that, you know, we create our own space as opposed to trying to do something better that someone else is doing. I think what we said from the beginning is sort of create our own vision. You know, in, in other words, wipe the slate clean and come up with a strategy for preventative care, adult 
vaccine medicine and what have you. So just reimagine that without having someone else's version of it. So a clean slate and start from there. And I think that's what we've done on some level. We just imagined that nothing else existed. And so how would you go about it? And I can't wait to dive into all that. It's so true. One more piece, and we're going to go for a quick commercial break, but one more piece on that. It's almost that I think it's a timing issue as well and in a good way in regards to our industry. People are yearning for a new slate. I think, you know, whether it be the consumer, the patient, or people with uh, clinicians or, you know, executives in healthcare, I think so many stakeholders in healthcare are looking for that new slate. Are you seeing that as well? Oh, yeah. I see everyone's trying to come up with a different version of what we're doing, and different people are taking different approaches, and some are amazing, and, you know, we're doing our thing. But yes, I see it all the time. I love it. We're going to dive into all the good things happening within your camp after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. Located in Denver, Colorado's nationally ranked River North District, Catalyst is a healthcare innovation campus that brings together stakeholders from across the industry to accelerate innovation and drive real, lasting change our nation desperately needs. From established organizations to startups, from accelerators to advocacy organizations, and from medical schools to global companies, everyone at Catalyst works side by side to create, develop, refine, and bring to market cutting-edge innovations that will fundamentally transform healthcare as we know it. With industry leaders like Medical Group Management Association, Olive, Medical Solutions, UC Health, Cirrus MD, and many others calling Catalyst home, along with innovative pioneers visiting from across the nation, Catalyst continually fosters their foundational belief that collaboration and partnerships will move the healthcare industry forward. To virtually tour Catalyst and claim your space on campus or host an upcoming event, visit CatalystHealthTech.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Dr. Jonathan Bektari, CEO at E7 Health. Jonathan, thank you so much for teeing us up on the front end. A lot of great advice, timely advice, and I think a mindset that we all need to have moving forward. We can, in fact, move this industry forward. Let's start building it with some new slates, clean the old slates off and reimagine from a new. So let's start talking about that. Before we dive into all the good things happening with you and the E7 Health team, take us a bit on the journey. You are a you know practicing clinician for many years. You then had that, I'm going to go and build a company as well moment, right? That's uh, I can't wait to hear if that was even on your radar back in medical school and, and part of the initial journey. But take us on that journey that led you up to founding your company. What was it like being you know a frontline clinician with your patients? And then how did that propel you? What was that spark? What was that aha moment that I need to go and build a company? Take us on that history lesson and then we'll get to today as well. Well, yeah, it was interesting in the sense that initially I was what we call like a straight arrow. I went to college, got my undergraduate degree, went to medical school, you know, at Ohio State, went then did my residency at Northwestern in internal medicine. Then I actually did a fellowship in pulmonary and critical care. And I actually became triple board certified in internal medicine, pulmonary and critical care, you know, joined a group, eventually became a senior partner and simultaneously, you know, was assistant clinical professor uh, in three different medical schools along the way. So I got education, clinical, and then medical education. And then I was offered an opportunity to get into administrative medicine. I was chief of my department and eventually, you know, became medical director for Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield, and then subsequently for another insurance company, then offered to be hospital administrator, full-time hospital administrator for several hospitals. So, you know, I was able to see things from the clinical side, you know, taking care of patients every day. Then I was able to see it from the teaching side where I got to teach medical students and residents. And then I was able to see it from the insurance company side. And then I was able to see it from the hospital side. And that's 
what made me realize, you know, how the conflicting forces, you know, came together. Like one of the things I do on my podcast is, you know, I tell you, hey, let's talk about what the insurance company's thinking when you're going through this, or let's talk about what the hospital's thinking, or let's talk about what your doctor's thinking. And because, it, you know, people think healthcare is just one thing, but it isn't. It is the insurance company, it's the hospital, it's the doctor, you know, it's the medical education, it's the clinical part. And I think that's a facet that when you put them all together, you realize, oh my gosh, it's almost like four or five powerful forces, each competing. And out of that, you got healthcare. So you realize, oh my gosh, how do you really make changes in healthcare? Because you're going to have to go to all the stakeholders and, you know, incentivize them to go along with the changes you're making. And, you know, it's like herding sheep. It's very difficult to get the insurance company, the hospital, everybody on the same page, as well as the medical groups and then doctors and what incentivizes them and the consultants. So I think that became clear. And I think when you see a lot of the conflict in healthcare, I think people often don't realize why it exists because, you know, even the transaction that occurs between a doctor and a patient is interfered with because there's an insurance company sitting there. I always like to give this example. Imagine going on your first date, you know, with someone and then having, you know, the chef sit at the table with you and be part of the conversation. You're like, whoa, whoa no, no, no. Yeah, I know you're serving the meal, but you don't need to be sitting at the table. And I think that's what happens. And so it makes some of these relationships not natural per se, and nothing wrong with it, but it wouldn't ebb and flow the way it would normally flow if the chef wasn't sitting there. And so I think people don't understand how these forces impact healthcare, impact the doctor-patient relationship. So but I think there's something to consider. And so through that journey, Jonathan, I want to go back and still kind of highlight a couple of those big checkpoints along that journey that you just described, right? There you were, practicing physician, you were in academia, and then you went over, some people say, oh, he went over to the dark side. He went over to the insurance yeah. world, right? Yeah. Did you know that that was going to be on the roadmap? Like, what was the aha moment? You know, like you said, you were that straight and narrow. You went and devoted triple board certified. Like you devoted all this time <laughs> yeah. to the practice of medicine. And you went, what were some of those triggers, those aha moments to go and try these other points along the journey? Well, I think part of being that driven is like, I didn't want to think I got to the top of the mountain. I just wanted that there. Initially, it was just really, I wanted more challenges. You know, I'm just like, okay, so you got there, you're a senior partner, you're triple board certified, great. You know, but, you know, is there another chapter? Can you learn more? Can you do more stuff? So I think I went into it initially out of just wanting to have a broader experience and teaching medicine really helped me, teaching medical students and residents. That was eye opening. And then, you know, becoming you know, head of my department and you know, being medical director for different facilities, it opened my eyes more and more. And it was like one of these experiences, and I think people often talk about one door opening another door. So you would do one thing and that would open another door. So initially, I don't want to say it was accident. It was simply, I think, just my drive to want to have a broader experience. But yes, at a certain point, you do kind of throw up your arm. And I don't know if I would call insurance the dark side. I wouldn't call hospital, you know, nothing is the dark side because, I mean, on some level, they, you know, it's great that, you know, we have insurance and, that you know, God forbid, you know, you get cancer or something and, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars expenses someone else is going to pay for. So I didn't really view it as bad or good. I just viewed it as, you know, this is an industry that's made out of different camps and how these camps think and work impact you know, the patient's experience. And, you know, if everyone knew how that impacted their experience, that it would be eye-opening. And it's true. I mean, you already said it spot on. I always mention on the podcast and the talks I give, 
that this industry is one of, if not the most complex industry, because there's so many stakeholders at this table, right? Is a multi, multi-sided, you know, marketplace, right? It, it makes it very complex. So through all of that journey, Jonathan, did you also know that you wanted to found your own companies? Like when did that start? You know, when did you start seeing that on the horizon? Like, oh, I think it's time to launch my own gig. <laughs> well, yeah, it was an evolution. I think, you know, when I realized that there was an opportunity in preventative health and specifically in adult vaccinations. It's, it's, you know, we were almost like a COVID company before COVID hit. We thought that adult vaccination was not getting its fair share of attention. You know, most people think, oh, vaccines, your kids, you got to get vaccinated, your kids, kids, kids. There's a whole host of adult vaccinations that people need and it's getting zero attention, zero, zeros. It was really a stepchild. Doctors actually stopped carrying, you know, 40 years ago, doctors actually carried some vaccines, tetanus, hepatitis B, and of course, everyone knows the flu. But doctors used to carry vaccines for adults, but they gave up on it when reimbursements became low. So now doctors, you know, rarely will they even carry a flu shot. The Walgreens do that. But 30 years ago, if you went to see a primary care doctor as an adult, they would have some vaccines in stock. And now with, you know, they expire and you got to know how to give them correctly. So it just became a whole ordeal. So doctors basically gave up on it. And Walgreens and CVS kind of filled in a little bit of the gap, but, you know, they're also selling diapers and Frito-Lay. So, you know, they're not exactly focused on adult vaccinations necessarily. So we thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to look at preventative medicine? Because when I saw this statistic, you know, per the CDC, I believe there's about 50,000 vaccine preventable deaths in the United States annually. That's a lot. And Jonathan, that's just the deaths. We're not even talking about, you know, the sicknesses, the illnesses, right? Right. You hit it on the head. Mike. And so why is that? Part of it was that everybody was looking as, at adult vaccinations as a stepchild or as some side gig or a side hustle. It's a side hustle for Walgreens. It's a side hustle for CVS. It's a side hustle for even certain health departments. It's not that they're closing down restaurants, inspecting pools, and giving out vaccines. I mean, it's not the main hustle for anybody because maybe it's the economics, maybe other factors. So we said, hey, you know, and when we first created E7 Health, we actually called ourselves the Vaccine Center. We finally rebranded in 2017 because people thought that's all we did. But so we really created a, a company to do adult vaccinations, literally a COVID company before COVID hit in 2009. And we focused on that. And then we built technology around that because there was no software, no technology that allowed the staff to interact with the patients and focus on vaccine adult vaccines and services around those vaccines. So if you needed a vaccine for an immigration physical, we would also do the physical. We would also do the lab work. We would do everything around the vaccine. So we got into every book of business that adult vaccines were involved. Travel medicine, if you're going to safari or South America. But then we did all of the services around that. So it became a whole thing. Then we realized there's really no technology for it. You know, you couldn't take your typical medical record system or anything else or patient portals or anything. So we literally started writing it all from scratch to see if we could do that to support and improve adult vaccinations across the United States. We're going to talk about that technology because, you know, we focus a lot about on this podcast around technology and innovation. We're going to go there in just a moment, Jonathan, but I want to just take a step back. You know, one thing also, I had no idea the history of adult, you know, vaccinations and the vaccine kind of movement or lack thereof that kind of declined over the years. I had no idea that history. That's very informative. 
would it also be true then as well, Jonathan, because so many consumers, i.e. patients in our society, if Dr. Bektari says X, I'm going to do X because I view what he says as gold, right? Like I have to follow my doctor's orders. So therefore, if you know adult vaccines and vaccinations were being taken up by the side hustle of the Walmarts, the Walgreens, the CVSs of the world, and no longer is Mike's doctor talking about you know vaccines and vaccinations, did you also see a decline in vaccines and vaccinations over that time frame as well. You mean for adults? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, of course, because, you know, we know vaccine rates are uh, related to multiple things. But one of the things is the easy access, points of access. How many points of access are there? So it used to be that you would come to your doctor for, let's say, a cut or migraine. And the doctor would use that opportunity and say, hey, Mike, are you up to date on your tetanus shot? Because let's get you up to date, you know, updated. Or, hey, you know, or did you ever actually get your hepatitis B series when you were young? Let me check the state database, see if you got it. If not, I know you're here for laceration, but let's get you started on that. So that was the whole idea of impacting vaccination rates. And we use that with children. For example, if kids now go in for a cold at three years old, the pediatrician will say, wait a minute, hold on, they're not up to date. They'll use that point of entry to make sure you're up to date. And I think the issue what you're raising is, you know, we're adult medicine doctors doing that where you would come in for a migraine or an ulcer or whatever. And they say, hey, by the way, uh, I see you're not up to date on your adult vaccinations. Let's double check if you actually ever got an MMR or not, given your age, or let's look at, and also if we're not sure, let's do titers. You know, we can actually measure your blood just like with COVID. You can do a COVID antibody test. We can do a test for MMR, varicella, meaning chicken pox, measles, mumps, rubella. We can test to see if you have titers. So you know, it wasn't, that wasn't, and it currently isn't on the top of mind of primary care doctors when their patients come in necessarily, not at least a lot. And so the question is, we really need to make an impact on that. But yes, the number of opportunities, meaning you go in for something else, but they use that as an opportunity to get you caught up. I mean, perfect example, right? It came top of my mind during this, how you're explaining this, Jonathan, you know, say a 50 year old, 50 plus year old male goes in for his yearly annual physical and Dr. Bakhtari says, hey, it looks like you haven't gotten your singles vaccine, right? More that 50-year-old patient, from my perspective, obviously anecdotal, but I think would be more likely to get that vaccine than walking into a CVS and not having a connection to somebody behind that shelf while I'm buying that bag of Frito-Lays or I'm buying some bleach and laundry detergent, right? I think that there's that relationship between you know trusted clinician and patient versus like you said, just going to the masses of these brick and mortar stores. I think it's a powerful example. Yeah. Well, let me take that even one step further. When that doctor says, have you gotten the shingles? If he has the shingles in stock and is going to give it to you, even if he says go, the compliance rate for a doctor says go to you know CVS and get your shingles. Yeah. Maybe they will go. Maybe they won't. Maybe you know, they'll leave the clinic and, you know, they'll get some bad news about, you know, their car or whatever, you know, people are going to get sidetracked. So the ideal point is to have it right there to say, hey, you know, have you gotten your pneumonia shot? Have you gotten your flu shot? Have you gotten your shingle shot? And are you up to date on your Tdap? So these are the opportunities that will occur if the vaccine is right there. And so let's talk about those patients, actually, Jonathan. So you're mentioning that, obviously, you started as the vaccine clinic and you guys were focused on that and then these wraparound services. How do you find your patients? Are you working with other providers? Give us that kind of flow of patients into your setting. Right, right. Well, you know, what we quickly discovered is that 
when people need our services, they don't go to their bartender and say, hey, you know, a good place to get a Tdap or a shingle shot or a TB skin test. They don't go up to their neighbor while they're mowing the lawn. What we found is people search. <laughs> it's amazing. So for vaccine medicine, people search and for, you know, the services around it. So, you know, we made sure we had a strong digital presence. And, you know, from day one, you know, we have a whole team that really gets out there and writes blogs and, and, and you know, articles and we just social media, we just have to have a very strong digital presence. And what we found is that whether, you know, we would go out to other doctors and stuff, people just search when they need it. So when they're traveling to Kenya and they're going on a safari, you know, they're going to search travel vaccinations, you know, and we made sure that we had a strong digital presence. And that was part of our technology too. Back in, you know, 2000. 10 when it wasn't so fashionable to really work on our digital presence. Well, and, I, and I'm going to ask you about that digital presence and what you guys built in regards to that enterprise uh, technology solution. But I will raise my hand here, Jonathan. I am that person you just described. Before the pandemic, I went to Asia for about five weeks and had to search out where to get those vaccines before heading over there. So I am exactly that persona type that you just described. So let's talk about technology as well. You mentioned, you know, you just can't simply plug into those pre-existing EMRs. We know which ones those are, and I'm pretty confident I know which ones specifically you're talking about. Mm -hmm. When did you start realizing that, and what have you guys built? What is the technology stack, and how is it helping further the E7 health movement? Well, I'm really proud of our team. I mean, I think initially we looked at the core of it, which is electronic health records, but it's so much more now. But the core of it, is we realized that almost all electronic health records as their prime directive had one motive. And believe it or not, most people, when I say, what do you think the number one directive of someone writing a software in Epic or any major electronic health records, what do you think the number one, what do you think they drive into those coders' head is your number one job? And most people, oh, a patient satisfaction, a doctor satisfaction. Do you want to take a stab at it before I tell you? I mean, Billing and coding. Right. Insurance reimbursement. So because, you know, if you write this great software, right, and you try to sell it to doctors or medical clinics or even medical systems and say, I've got this great electronic health record. It's going to make your patients' lives easier. It's going to make them access everything easier. It's going to make your doctor's lives easier. But your Medicare reimbursements will drop 20% if you use our system. What are they going to say? No, thank you. Right. But if you say to them, hey, this will increase your Medicaid or Medicare or Blue Cross reimbursement, but your patients will not have that great of a time. It's going to lessen their satisfaction, lessen your doctor's work, your medical staff work, your provider's work. You know, how are they going to respond? So it became clear, whoever writes these software, yes, they do want all those other things, but that's not their main motive. So what we said is we need to write something which takes the insurance companies out of, to simply takes them out, zero. And so then our prime directive is how do we reduce friction for the patients? So we said, listen, and I remember originally sitting around talking about this, like when you create an Amazon account, it's not like you recreate it every six months. You create one, you know, 10 years ago and you have it. And if I said to you, Mike, what did you order on Amazon a year ago? You wouldn't say, well, let me call Amazon, find out what I did. What would you do? You would just, of course, you would just go see what you ordered a year ago. What kind of bike did I order a year ago? Let me just, you know. So we said, why can't healthcare be like that? Why can't you just create an account, put it on the cloud? Everything that's ever been done to you 
is there. And I said, if we did that, Amazon doesn't have a records department, right? So anytime you see a hospital or a facility with a medical records department, what are they basically telling you? Why do you need a records department? Why? <laughs> I mean, you go to a typical hospital, you'll just see a like whole floor sometimes for their medical records department. That's insane. You don't need records. Records should be on the patient portal, right? Or the doctor's portal or whatever. And that's it. It should be pushed there automatically. So we're actually one of the very few healthcare institutions where we don't have a medical records department. And no one's ever called us asking for their medical records because by the time they're in the parking lot, it's on their portal. They could just literally go into their car, open their phone, whatever we did to them is there. So when you reimagine it that way, you know, why can't we be like Amazon, right? I mean, if Amazon could pull it off for books and then for everything else, why can't we pull it off for patient services? So, you know, we went down that route. And even at e7health.com, if you read our third party reviews, we have 10,000 positive reviews in three years alone. I don't think there's any medical clinic in the country. And we just are just starting in Southern Nevada. But almost all of those reviews, I mean, I have an amazing staff. They're unbelievably professional and friendly. But also the patients are commenting on the technology because what they're experiencing is, oh, wow, I got on my phone. I booked an appointment for two hours later. I went there. I didn't wait more than five minutes. There was no clipboard when I arrived. And I was seen and I got in my car 15 minutes later and drove away. I mean, that's the process we need to emulate. It's so funny because I forgot someone asked me, you know, how do you know that you're in a system where that's not the focus. And my number one thing that I tell people is call a healthcare institution you're interested in working with or a doctor's office and, you know, see if they put you through that press one, two, three prompt thing and then press two, three after that and then press two, three after that. At the end of all that, we'll call you back in 24 hours. Okay, that tells you everything. That's all you need to know. When you get introduced to that, you know, they might as well just put a sign on their door and saying, you know, we're not really that interested in customer experience. It's so true. It is so mind blowing to think like this is the biggest industry in our nation, right? It literally touches every single one of us directly or indirectly. And it is, you know, almost a quarter of our GDP and we're still living in these times. I kid you not, Jonathan, I have a loved one and this loved one needed to switch, uh, you know, primary care providers. And the new one said, you have to fax your document. And in their old provider, it was only electronic. She's like, what do you mean fax? They can't even do that. She's like, well, I can't help you then if they can't fax. It's like fax. And that's the only way you're going to communicate with me? Wow. Yeah. Like if you go to E7 Health and try to book an appointment, and depending on if it needs up, it actually, during the appointment cycle, it says, press this and upload your document while you're booking the appointment. Literally, I mean, it's, you know, you see it all the time on other industries where they ask you to upload the document. Why can't you just do that when you're booking the appointment, right? It just, that technology exists. It makes too much sense, Jonathan. Careful. You're getting way, as we like to say here in Colorado, you're getting over your skis, my friend. I'm, I'm joking, yeah. of course. <laughs> well, and, and I love that, right? Because obviously, and it goes back to what we were saying on the front end, right? This clean slate, starting anew, thinking anew, you know, not being a shackle to the status quo. And this is how it's always been, right? And so with that, Jonathan, you guys, the technology's there. We're seeing it being used in so many other industries. Like you mentioned, using Amazon as that kind of cliche and as an example. We can certainly do that. We have the tools at our disposal to do it here within the healthcare industry. And you are doing that. And you have those 10,000 plus reviews. It's incredible. So let's also now focus in on a little bit future state as well, right? I think this movement that you just described, it's only going to continue to 
grow. I think, you know, the millennials, which is going to be now the largest voting block in our nation and the largest consumer block in our nation over the next 10, 15 years, bigger than the baby boomers, they are going to demand this. They are going to expect this because this is the environment that they grew up in and they're not going to acquiesce from it. So I think we're going to continue to see the movement that you just described. So take us there. Let's pull the crystal ball off the shelf. Jonathan, where do you see things heading in the next two to three, three to five years, not just for E7 Health, but you know, for the industry writ large? You're sitting in that kind of captain's chair. You're seeing everything happening. Where do you see things heading and what do we need to be mindful of as a community? You know, I think there's competing forces. You know, I think as government becomes more and more involved in healthcare, you know, I think that sidetracks some of this innovation because, again, when government gets involved, and of course, it can be a good thing in the sense that, you know, providing access to healthcare for people. But we have to be careful that in trying to make, you know, comply and as healthcare institutions try to figure out, hey, how can we maximize the healthcare dollars from these government programs? You know, that doesn't become the focus of their technology and their strategy. So I think there lies a challenge. And, you know, I see, you know, you see with the concierge medicine and, you know, some of the things we've been doing, which is to just decouple it from a lot of these programs. And so I kind of see like a couple of different tracks. I mean, looks like government expansion in healthcare is growing. And the question really is, is there going to be a decoupling with a whole industry, which is decoupled from a lot of these programs and just providing great care great affordable care that's decoupled from the bureaucracy. Yeah, absolutely. And again, the consumers are going to also demand that as well, right? I don't want to be mired in this bureaucracy. I want it, I want stuff now. I want it easy. I want it accessible and I want it affordable and people will pay for that. Absolutely. I think we're going to see more and more of that as well. Thank you for a little bit of that as well, Jonathan. And let's get our community involved. How can we be helping you and your team out? And what is that one problem, need, or question that you and the team have? that our community can be helping you with. Yeah, so I think the problem that I think we will probably come across is, you know, when you create a whole new industry, it becomes a challenge to even explain it to people. You know, I think if I was trying to explain to you 10, 15 years ago, hey, I've created Uber and it's ride sharing, you know, your brain would hurt. Like, so you're a taxi or what are you? I mean, you're a car service. No, no, I'm ride sharing. Like, well, no, 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 no. You gotta either be a taxi or a car service. I don't know what this ride sharing thing is. And I think it's a blessing and a curse, right? To create a space, it can be a blessing and a curse, right? It's hard to do a 30 second, you know, elevator speech about it because people don't want to accept that it's a new space. You know, like, no, you're in urgent care, your doctor's office. No, 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 we're our own space. So I think there lies the challenge. I think trying to create a new space comes with a lot of pros. And then some of the downside is, you know, getting people to really understand that it's its, its own thing. So having our community reach out and, and really think through what does this look like? You know, how does this fit within the continuum? Right. So obviously they can reach out to us at e7health.com. I have BakhtariMD.com. You can follow our podcast at YouTube forward slash BakhtariMD. Those are all great ways. Uh, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Again, Jonathan Bakhtari on LinkedIn. And I'm more than happy to comment, advise, or reach out, collaborate with anyone. Well, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people within our community that want to have those conversations of, you know, how to think anew, how to describe it, you know, because you're spot on. Like, you were to people uh, you know, back in the day ask about Airbnb, what are you talking about? My head would explode, right? So it's the same thing. But I know that there are a lot of passionate people that are rallied around this podcast that would love to chat with you about exactly all of this. So thank you for sharing all great. those contact points online. And for our community, simply scroll down in your favorite podcast player to connect with Dr. Bakhtari and the entire E-Self, E7 Health team. 
You can also head over to our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. There will be a post for this episode and all those contact points online as well. Again, over at passionatepioneers.com. All right, Jonathan, we're going to get you out of here in just a moment. We have one more piece before we cut you loose. It's a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because? Because I really want to make an impact on things that are truly preventative. And I think vaccine medicine for adults is an area that needs attention and we want to make an impact on it. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing. What a journey. What a story. Incredibly important work that you and the team are heading up. Thank you for taking a pit stop on our podcast to share your journey with our community. Really, really appreciate your time today. Again, thank you for joining up with us today. Mike, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.